Every single one of us, no matter how long we've been following you or if we're just checking you out, because we don't know what we believe about you. Every single one of us are sinners. And all of us feel the weight of that differently, depending on the moment, depending on the hour, depending on the day. But we're all sinners that feel at some level or another we don't measure up, that we can't measure up, that we're not good enough, and we just try, God, to just come to this place and meet with you. But the truth of that song just proclaiming to us that um, there's no pain that earth has that heaven can't heal. We're leaning on that truth today. God, you are all-knowing, and you know every single one of us intimately, whether if we're your children or if we're checking you out. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we are, illuminate the name of Jesus, and bring us hope so that we can see the truth of that song come alive in our hearts as we just continue to worship you today through opening your word. God, we need you as a church. And God, I secondly um, just listening to Draith lead us in worship, knowing that um, their family will be transitioning soon. I just pray for them. Thank you for blessing our church with their family, with his leadership, and with his love for us. And um, God, there's so many things to be praying for. I just ask that you understand all of what my heart is crying and all of our hearts as we know the family are crying. Hear them and answer our prayers, God, and bless them. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I do want to have a family conversation just for a second. Um, and so in your bulletin, whenever you came in, you, you can check out, there's an announcement in there that talks about the Selah family. So as I was just praying, uh, Draith and his family have been on staff here. Well, their family hasn't been on staff. Draith has been on staff. But I'm sure, Dan, you feel the weight of that as well, just differently. Um, they are, have, have chosen to, to move and start a new phase of life and transition away from Hillsboro and move move over to, to Idaho. And, um, and as I said before, he's been serving for 10 years faithfully here. And as a way for us as a church to honor him for all of his service and all of his leadership, to bless his family and to love them in, in a unique way and say thanks, We've, uh, we as a church are coming around them and just collecting a love offering. And if that's something that if you're a part of Harvest and you just want to bless them in this way, there is an avenue in the bulletin in how you can do that. All your gifts go directly to them. And it's just so a way for us to say thanks for all of your leadership. So uh, my friend, you're going to be missed. I'm looking over here. I don't know where. There you are right there. You're going to be missed greatly. You're a great friend, a great leader. Um, but uh, I just get this chance just to dote on you a little bit. So thanks, man, for all that you do. I love your heart. Yeah, go for it. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan, and I'm on the staff team here. Our lead pastor, Matt Garino, is on vacation, and th that's a big deal. He doesn't get very many Sundays where, where he's off and off-premise and really not working. And so uh, as, um, as the B team's on the stage, um, I'm going to be asking that, that you be praying for him. He's transitioning back home today from just being out and fishing. I uh, haven't heard how things have gone, so I guess no news is good news, right? But just be praying that God just continues to refresh his heart as he's 
away today. I know that he's missing you and loving you, um, but just pray that, that he re- returns safely. And so, um, but yeah, I do get to bring you God's word today. So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're continuing in our 1 John series. If you're new with us, let's just get us caught up to speed a little bit about what this series is about. And so we as a church love walking through books of the Bible. We love seeing um, God's main story through what he says, um, through the authors that, that he's chosen to speak through. And John is one of these authors in the New Testament. And so as we've dug to just see the main point of what God wants to say through John's writing, what we've really seen and what we really focus on this idea of having genuine faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. We, we know that there is a, there's a war out there for our faith. Um, Satan is on the prowl just as much as God is on the prowl. As we talked about last week, God has already won the, the, the battle, has already won the fight. That doesn't make our fight today any less um, uh, colorful. We'll, we'll say it that way. There are false gospels that, that get um, put out in the world. There are false things that rise up in our hearts to say that those things are ultimate when God is saying that his son, Jesus Christ, is ultimate. And there's lots of things that we can experience in this world to tear us and separate us away from who uh, God is through Jesus Christ. And this series is all about looking at what is core, what is foundational, what is fundamental in being a genuine follower of Jesus. Some of those waters can get a little murky sometimes, but let's just tear away the murk and look at the the foundations of who we are and what we believe uh, as, as followers of his. And so John is talking to a group of believers. He's saying he has confidence in these believers, and he's just giving them encouragements along the way of how to continue to follow him. So that's the summary. Um, as Rick read for us earlier, you're probably picked up on a main theme or a main word that just pops up so many times inside of this passage of scripture. That is the word love. In 14 verses, we hear the word love 25 times. If you don't pick up on the, re- the repetition of that, then you're just not paying attention. Um, today's sermon in lots of ways is going to be super simple because we all know love. We all get love. On some level, I would, I would argue that all of us have experienced love to one degree or another. <laughs> but as we start to define and tear apart and talk about our experiences of what our experiences of love is, it actually is extremely complex. Every one of us spend our entire lives searching for love. We search for belonging. We search for where we fit in. We search for where we're wanted. But the thing is, is we're all doing that in many different ways, at work, at home, at church, in any other ways that we're connected with people. We all do that in our own unique way. On another level, loving someone is super simple, but the different ways we pursue it and we're in relationship with one another, makes it very complex. And when we're in relationships with other people, we're in relationships with other sinners, which means we all bring our own junk into our relationships, and that even makes it even more complex as we try to filter out and defend and advocate for ourselves, but try not to blame shift and own and move forward and learn how to love one another really, really well. 
I don't know if you're, you're familiar with this book, but there's, there's a, a popular book with inside the Christian community that came out in the early 90s um, called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. So um, with, in writing this book, what he centers on is defining five unique ways that we all receive love. If you've read this book, you'll see that what, what his argument is, is that every single one of us is connected to one of these five things. I'm going to be a little honest with you. I'm a little leery whenever there's five things put on the stage and it encompasses all people that you should all find your way into one of these things. I'm not going to say that that is necessarily true, but the thing is, in my experience, I, this makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, and so I read this book. It's a great read if you haven't picked up it. It's a great principle to just start getting your eyes around this idea of, A, discovering how you enjoy being loved by others, as well as other people around you um, enjoy and love receiving this idea of love. And th these five things are as simple as receiving gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service or, or devotion, uh, and lastly, physical touch. This book was written for people in romantic relationships, but I think the principles apply to all types of relationships, and so that's why I'm bringing this up at this point. So in this book, his premise is that we all tend to give love, we all tend to give love in the way that we receive love. And this is actually a core problem that we have as humanity. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I mean by this? Like, we all tend to give love to other people. Like, I'm going to show you love in the way that I receive it best. The re reason this is a problem is because not every single one of us think or act in the same way, right? Um, Let's take this idea of receiving gifts for a second. This isn't my love language, but if your love language is receiving gifts, what that means is that you um, receive love when other people are thinking about you, can create something beautiful or not so beautiful, and put it on your refrigerator or a poem that they thought of, or they see a little knickknack in the store and they buy something, or they buy you something huge. You, you feel loved when people are thinking about you. It's not just about receiving gifts, because if that's the case, all of us in this room love receiving gifts, right? If you buy me something, whether I want it or not, I'm going to be super thankful for that, right? Because I didn't have to spend my money on it. But the idea is I feel loved whenever um, I know that you're thinking about me whenever I am not around. I'm going to generalize this, but, um, but, but that's, that's generally the case. To this person, when someone does this, it means that they're thinking about you when you're not around. Remember, we tend to give love in the way that we receive love. This works perfectly if everyone has this gift of receiving love. Um, this works when two people have the same love language, but it is super rare. When we're in relationships with someone else, it's good to know, A, how you receive love. And it's also good to know, B, how others receive love so we can be in relationship with one another, with friends and with spouses. We have to work hard at giving thoughts to how we're loving other people. Now, for some of you, engineers in the room, you might be thinking, I'm not going to generalize for you, but you might be thinking, I have to have like thoughts and feelings. There's not um, 
There's not an owner's manual here. Like there's not just a clear, simple, cut, dry, do this, do this, and do this, and therefore um, A plus B equals C, and, I, and all of a sudden my, my spouse and my friend feels loved by me. I'm going to have to read their emotions and their feelings. Ugh. And people who have emotions and feelings are, are thinking to themselves, yes. I just want you to know me. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I just need you to know me intimately and deeply and just know who I am. And this is what makes things complex. When we come together, we, it, it, it could cause problems, right? Because this means we have to actually look beyond ourselves. My love language, as I, as I read and as I understand, my love language is quality time. I feel the most loved when you spend quality time with me. But here's the trick. I get to define what quality time looks like. <laughs> if you're like, hey, let's go to Disneyland together. I'm like, that's not quality time. Like, I know you did. I just lost half you Disney people in this room. But I, I, do not, I, I do not enjoy going to that place. I would much rather go to a magic mountain or something like that than, than we could spend quality time. Now, I, I, I'm being silly, right? But if... I want you to know me well enough that you know me well so that when we spend time together, you're giving me and you're filling me in the ways that I want you to fill me with the time that we just get to spend together. My poor wife. Her love language is not quality time. And her love language is not guessing, playing a guessing game on what quality time looks like for me. God bless her. She does an amazing job of being gracious with me. I'm a ridiculously hard person to live with when it comes to discovering all of my feelings and emotions. It could be exhausting. I do realize that. But her love language is physical touch. Being a guy who's 21 years old, who's, who's engaged to be married, you might think to yourself, hey, this is a great love language of hers. Like This is going to benefit us in the long run, right? Uh, yeah. Um, just trying to keep it PG, right? 13, maybe-ish. <laughs> the way that I interpret physical touch is not the same way that she would interpret physical touch, right? She loves to experience foot rubs, head scratches, back massages. <laughs> I wish I could explain to you in words the feelings that I have when my wife said, hey, can you just rub my back for a second? Like, the emotions well up, and I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. This means I have to do, I, I, can we just, and then I go to this place, when was the last time you given me a back rub? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm nowhere near it. I have my issues, right? But this is her love language. Like, if, if I want to learn to love her the best, it's without her asking me, jumping in and giving her back rubs, rubbing her feet, just touching her and letting her know I'm present. Like, this is the way that she feels loved the most. Again, we tend to give love in the way that we receive love. To grow in how we love someone else, we have to learn to love them in the way that they receive love. Guys, this is This is hard. This is ridiculously hard. This is what makes love so complex. This is, can, this is what actually makes love potentially a four-letter word, right? 
See what I did there? <laughs> when we get to the Bible and we turn to passages like 1 John chapter 4, and it talks about over and over again this idea of loving one another. Many of us in this room, we haven't experienced love in a positive way, generally. Like if we just think about this idea of people loving you, we want to flee from this conversation because we just don't know what that looks like and we haven't experienced it in this type of way. So we get to 1 John and we don't know what to do with it. We know it's in the Bible. We sit here, smiles on our face, we listen to the words, and we leave. For others of us, we've been involved in the Christian community for so long, we've been a part of the church for so long, that we know that the Bible frequently talks about love. It talks about how God loves us, and it talks about how we are supposed to love one another. And the greatest commandment given in all Scripture is actually two forms of love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that God is about is really, it kind of all centers on this idea of love. But when we hear passages like this, we don't slow down. We expect it. We don't slow down enough to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us on where we're not doing this well or to tell us where we are doing this well so that we can celebrate how he has allowed us to think about other people differently, right? So my encouragement for us this morning as we dive into 1 John chapter 4 is that we just slow down, that we not become jaded on this word love because that is our potential. We hear it so often and we have terrible experiences with it. But we're asking the Holy Spirit Speak to me about where I do this well and where I can change for the sake of your name, God, and for the sake of your glory, how we're in relationship with one another. Yes, relationships with friends, people that belong to this church, but as well as our spouses and our children's and others that we're in relationship with. John hits this theme pretty hard in his book. He's talked about loving one another three different times at length. And this is the third time that we see it in, his, in this book. The first time that we see it, we see John's argument. If you have your Bibles to 1 John, you can turn over to uh, chapter 2 and just, just glance at this. He says in chapter 2 that we must fight to love one another well because we have the light of Christ in us. Each three of these, these three things have a different because. We must fight to learn to love, to, um, to love one another, because Christ is the light inside of us. He's illuminated, he's illuminated us to be able to, to look past ourselves whenever there's so much darkness in this world. So for us to avoid the darkness and to see the light, to be a part of the light, to be a part of Christ, is to love one another. Secondly, in chapter 3, starting in verse 11, he jumps into this idea again that we must fight to love one another well because we have tasted eternal life. Through Christ, individually, if we've surrendered our lives to him, we have eternal life. We have hope beyond this life. And because of that, we can love others so that they can experience that as well. And today, what we're going to center on is this idea is that we must fight to love one another well because love is actually God's nature. It's about him. It's about who he is. So let's dive into this text and read it, unpack it. I got four points for us as we see this. First John chapter four, let's start in verse seven. We'll read seven and eight. He says, beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because why? God is love. It's our first point. God's nature, God's identity centers on this idea and this truth that he is love. The Bible teaches us so many things about who God is. If you start at the very beginning and work your way all the way through, he intentionally tells us who he is in so many different unique, unique ways that has so many deep implications and impacts into our lives. And I just got a couple of examples here for us. When we start in Genesis chapter 1, we see God as creator. Nothing existed. God put it all together, and however he chose to do that, we know that he spoke it, and then it happened, right? So that God is the initiator of it all. He created it all. He put it into motion. God is in control of all things. There's one God and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is in control of every bit of it. Secondly, as we continue through Scripture, we see that God is the author of life. He creates all that is in this earth. He creates man and woman. He breathes his own breath of life into them. They come alive, right? He is the author of life and death. He has the right to determine what is right and what is wrong. And his Scriptures point us to this idea of what truth is. And it leads for us today to have healthy conversations about who God is and what his truth is pointing us to and how we're supposed to live. Another great truth about who God is. We also learn throughout scripture that God hates sin. He's a hater of sin. He can't stand in its presence. He is holy and righteous and perfect. And that is what separates us from him, right? Because of that, he is righteous. And we, being sinners ourselves, are so far separated from him. We also see that God is right. He is the righteous judge. We know the reality of heaven and hell. Scripture talks about it all throughout, that both of these are real places, a place with him and a place apart from him. This is who God is, the righteous judge, all right. And I never want to minimize any of these truths. I do want us to say, John is pointing us to is more importantly, I want to encourage us to see that God's identity is love. All um, above everything else, the narrative all throughout Scripture is that God is love. In the midst of being creator, in the midst of being the author of life, in the midst of being the hater of sin, in the midst of uh, being the righteous judge, what he is doing is he is being in relationship with his creation, with his people, drawing them to himself. That is what he is doing ever since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden whenever they sinned. It's his purpose and intent through his almighty and great love to draw people back into relationship with himself through his great love. Now again, great conversation can be had here, right? That what does that look like? What does that mean? He does it through, um, he, he does it through 
just lavishing his great love on his people and also pointing out our sin, which is uncomfortable, which also leads to consequences in our lives and, and God's punishment to, like, I say that in a way, like I'm thinking like parenting, right? One of the most loving things we could do as parents for our kids is discipline our kids. And God does the very same thing for us. So love looks all sorts of kinds of ways. But we have to center on this idea that God's nature, God's identity is love. And when John says in verse 7 here, let us love one another, he is thinking about the nature of God. This leads us to continue reading, looking at the second point that I want you to see today, is that love is bigger than us. So many of our feelings towards one another, towards other people, is so small. Our love for other people, if we're honest, is all about ourselves. It's mainly selfishly motivated. Do you realize that we enter into relationships with other people because we enjoy what that other person does for us. I'm not saying that we stay here forever, that relationships grow and they mature, but we enter into relationships and friendships with people, uh, into dating relationships, into marriage relationships. We enter into these things because of what that person does for me. It's extremely rare, and I say rare because I've never seen it, but I'm not going to say it doesn't exist anywhere. It's really rare for someone to look at someone who's ridiculously annoying and say, that's going to be my friend. I'm going to pursue that guy or that girl, and I want to be hanging out with that person all day long because maybe, oh, here you get, because maybe I can change them. Does that do something for you? This idea of we start relationships, we enter into relationships because of what the other person feels about us. Let's think about attraction. We're attracted to the people that we love with in a romantic type of love because they're pleasing to our eyes. You actually choose then to be proposed and marry someone because you think that person can bring you ultimate happiness in your life. Do you see how this all centers on us? I'd argue that this is the way that we all, that our, our entire society enters into relationships with people. Most, if not all people, start with this selfish motiva motivation. And many actually never mature into anything more than that. People enter into marriages, falling in love. And then they, just as quickly as they fell in love, they fell out of love because that person no longer brings me ultimate happiness. God says, love is bigger than you. Love is bigger than me. When we have our eyes on what love is really all about, the nature of God and how we love one another and how we, as we love our families, it is bigger than us. I think John's going to point to this truth, to this fact. Let's start reading in verse 9. Talk about a point, then we'll read verse 10. 
So remember, we just got to this point that God's identity is love in chapter 8, or sorry, verse 8, and then verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live in him. God's love for us, um, God's love for us is a bigger story. I gotta be careful with what I'm thinking right now, but I'm gonna say it at the risk, right? God doesn't need us. He didn't create you and me because there was some void in him that we get to fill, right? This is where it gets dangerous. I don't know if it's totally theologically correct. I'll have to do some, some research on it. But um, God, it's probably better for God that we didn't exist. Because I can only imagine that we bring pain and anguish and heartache into God's emotional side. But God's love is bigger. God's love for us is a part of a bigger story. God says, I've created you because I want you in relationship with me, because there's something greater that I'm doing, right? What we have to know, though, is that nothing we can do will ever enhance who God is. <laughs> My wife, she makes me a better man. I never could imagine this many years later where I would be in my journey as a man, as a father, as a husband, and even as a pastor of a church because of what she has done and how she has spoken things into my life. This is usually what leads people to go, oh, right? Uh, thank you. <laughs> but how I got to this point is not so, oh, <laughs> It, it usually comes out of fights and arguments, right? Whenever we don't agree and we have what we would say colorful conversations, and then I realize that sometimes quicker than other times where I am wrong, right, and I start owning it, it's those moments that shape me and who I am. She makes me a better man because she points out my faults. Now, I don't want to put her in this category that she's just always, I, I point out hers all the time, <laughs> all the time. No, but I mean, that's what makes us have a great relationship because we do mutually speak into each other's lives, but it's through pain that we shape one another. And so this idea of my wife makes me a better man, we kind of put that onto God, that maybe I make God a better God by him being in relationship with us. But God's love is bigger than us. For God's love for us is actually a bigger part of his story. John is saying here that God's story only, is only, made, um, only makes perfect sense through the work of Jesus Christ. God made himself known to the world through Jesus. All the Old Testament, it's veiled, it's masked. There's lots of things going on that didn't make sense to the people living in that day and age. But once Jesus came into the picture, it all made sense. Uh, all of who God is was manifested. It all became known that it is through Jesus that his story is so much bigger than us. So God's love for us is part of a bigger story. But secondly, what I want us to see is that God's love is self-sacrificing even for himself. Verse 10, and this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be a wrath bearer for our sins. In other words, a propitiation for our sins. Self-sacrificing. God gave it all for you and for me. This benefits him because he gets all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. I'm not going to say it doesn't benefit him because we get to glorify his name. But it's not about us. We don't make him better whenever we receive him. I tried to think of an example of how I can relate this to something that we can put our minds around. And I, I think it's impossible. But just imagine that maybe uh, you have an annoying neighbor next door. Just imagine. I know you really don't, but just imagine. You have an annoying neighbor next door, and that uh, neighbor is actually arrested for murder. And not only murder, but he's confessed to it, and he is finding himself in the court system. You being a good neighbor go to trial, and you hear that he is sentenced to death for what he has done, and you actually say, you know what, Mr. Judge, if you um, let him go and remove all charges away from him, I will give my son to you so that he can be put to death on the behalf of my neighbor, and then we're going to call it good, right? Right. Great. I mean, no one thinks that that is a great story. No one would ever advocate that for someone to do that with their kid, but that's exactly what God did for us. That story is absolutely ridiculous. But you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually ridiculous. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that um, for all those who are perishing, for all those who are lost, for those who don't know Jesus, the gospel is foolishness. Because this is the core of it. God's love, his nature is self-sacrificing so that we get the reward, not because it makes him any better, but because it saves us and brings us into relationship with him. And God gave everything for us. This is love. And it gets personal. Verse 11 and 12, follow along with me. We've heard what we've heard up to this point. Love one another because of who God is. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In the very same way that God has loved us, we ought to love one another. Here's where the application questions start coming. How is your love for others part of a bigger story? Think about people that you are in relationship with. Maybe an acquaintance relationship with. Maybe that you see every single Sunday whenever you walk into these doors How is your love for others part of a bigger story, bigger than yourself? And secondly, how is your love for others actually self-sacrificing? Which leads us to our third main point, that genuine love for others is actually supernatural. It is absolutely not natural for us to think in this way. 
to think about a bigger story, to think about us sacrificing ourselves for people we are in relationship with. That is not a natural bent that we have. But when we do, it is something bigger working inside of us. And what John is pointing to is that is the work of God through the Holy Spirit causing us to think differently. So if there's conviction, if there's like, man, I don't know how I love people well, we could start feeling a little down on ourselves. Like, uh, how do I look out more? And just realize that God meets us in our weakness and God meets us where we are so that we can begin to do this better than we did yesterday. We will never in this life, we will never do it perfectly we will progress better and better at it as we look at Jesus. But we'll never do it perfectly. That's the beauty of grace. But I'm going to argue that we grow in this in one unique way that Scripture is going to point us to. We grow in this by as we invest in our relationship with Jesus and we understand his grace and his mercy in our lives and now we understand his sacrifice that brings us into relationship with him. As we understand that more fully, more deeply, more intimately, then we have the tools to do that for other people as well. Read verse 13 with me. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Understand what's being said there. Not only is God abiding, um, are we abiding in God, but God is also choosing to abide in us. There is a mutual love. There's a mutual relationship here. We know that we have this because he has given us the spirit. Something drastically changes in our hearts and in our actions when we go from, following, from not following Jesus to following Jesus. The Spirit enters into our lives and there's something fundamentally different with the way that we think and behave. And maybe it's not drastically different, but it's fundamentally different. It's different for every single person as God interacts with us. But we know it's true. We have confidence in that because of the Spirit living in us. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, this isn't God just lavishing his love on every single individual he's ever created. He said there's an avenue in which we, in the, in, in which we love each other, and that is through Christ. I'm doing this in a very systematic and real and tangible way, but it centers on who Jesus Christ is. He bridges that gap. He bridges that, the wrath that God has for us against our sin. And here's the reality, again, that we abide in him and he in us whenever we are in this relationship. Don't let those words pass you by without feeling its impact. We are abiding in God just as much as God is abiding in us through the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 and 17. So we have come to know and believe this. Um, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There it is again, that definition. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Drilling it home. Don't lose sight of who we are together. I'm never leaving you. 
We are in this together. Understand that deeply. And when you do, great things happen as we seek to love one another well. Which leads us to our fourth point. We love. We love others. We love one another because he first loved us. Let's read verse 19 through 21. These points are simple. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God also must have love for his brother. If you say you love God and you don't love other people, you're a liar. If the core of who you are is selfish love, then you don't understand what is going on inside your heart when Jesus comes in and transforms and saves and redeems. If you don't have love for one another, we do not abide. If you're unable to love the people that you see, that you can touch, then you can't love the one that you can't see. These are, these are the same. These are unified as these are poured out. As God pours into us, we pour out to other. And then he leaves us in this passage of Scripture with a command. If you love God, then you must love your brothers. Now, I want to end these last few minutes by just recognizing, guys, this is really general language what does it mean to love one another? Like, I get it, I want to do it, but I, I don't know exactly what God is calling me into. Just because I know someone's name, is that good enough? Like, how does this play out in our, in our life? And I, I can't give you all the ways that this plays out. I'm going to first ask you to go back and pursue your relationship with Jesus, engage with him, and ask him what that means for you as you are in relationships with people around you. But generally, I think that we could see a few points here. Obviously, um, as we read John's letter, we know that he's talking to us as we love brothers and sisters in our church. How we love one another well as Harvest Community Church communicates to the world around us that watches us, that sees us, that we love God himself. So we got to love well inside this building. We got to love well inside this church. We have to be in relationship with one another. Again, it seems so general. But how can you make a difference in someone's life? Start simple. Start small. Maybe start thinking beyond yourself and asking God what he's doing and we can join him in what he's doing. Here's my encouragement for us, that God is always working. God is always moving. God is always doing something. And one application of this for one person may not be the application for somebody else, and that is totally fine. But if we want to seek and pursue Jesus well and loving one another, we got to engage him to say, God, am I doing well in this? If so, show me where. If I'm not doing well in this, show me how I could do it better. If I'm being too general with how I'm seeing the people inside my church, then tell me how I can 
love others that are sitting around me in a better and stronger way. But just engaging God and asking him to lead us well through this. This isn't explicit in 1 John, but another application is, ladies and gentlemen, our, if you're married, how are we loving our spouses? If we're not giving this type of love to the person that we've chose to commit our lives to, to death do us part, then we are forsaking exactly what John is talking about. We have to love those that we are with in a very selfless way and continue to learn in this life how to do that better and better. We don't fall out of love because love is more than emotion. Love is an action. If we look at God's love for us, it is all action oriented, but it's laced with lots of emotions too. We must love one another well. It starts in this church. Let's look as well with inside of our marriages. And lastly, I want to encourage us to love people who don't know Jesus well. You may be the only Jesus that someone sees and experiences. God sends missionaries across the world to be Jesus with skin on to people in other countries and other um, places where they speak a different language. That is necessary and I champion it. Go and do it. But what we must not neglect is that God has sent us into our worlds to be missionaries for Jesus Christ to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your spouse, to your kids, dot, dot, dot. How are you engaged with this idea of loving others with the love of Jesus sacrificially so that someone can enter into this story that you have experienced? every single one of us, because we're human, because we grow up in this Western culture, and there's so many other reasons we can all learn and grow from this idea of just loving each other well because of the nature of who God is. I want to end our time together by just saying that we have an opportunity this morning to close with singing and also receiving communion. <laughs> As I was writing this sermon this week and putting my thoughts and words around this, many of these words that I'm saying are for myself. And I hope that God's using it to encourage us as well. So the, the table of communion is all about coming up front. For people who follow Jesus, it's coming up front and it's remembering the work that Jesus has done on the cross. My natural tendency is to go into a, a place of shame and to say, man, I, I just need to do better. I got to come up with my strategy on how I'm going to do better tomorrow. But Jesus is saying, don't go up with your strategies yet. Start with this place of just confessing, remember, confessing, remembering who I am, and allow me to lead you through this process of thinking through this. That's what communion is. The bread that we see at the table represents the broken body of Christ. On the cross, the juice represents the blood of Jesus spilt for us. Again, these tables are for people who, call, who follow Jesus. If that's you, during this first song that we're going to sing, I want to go ahead and invite our worship team up. During this first song, sit and speak with Jesus, talk with Jesus. Anytime that you're ready, come up to the tables, form lines, grab a piece of bread, dip it into the juice, and take in remembrance of him. 
We have four tables up front and, and, and some tables in the balcony as well. And when you're ready, I would just love to encourage you to just take in remembrance of him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. So many reasons why we should love other people. And God, I love how in this book you've listed so many different ways through John's words, but today our conviction and, and what we've noticed and seen is, God, that your identity is love and you're pursuing humanity to yourself. You're pursuing us to you. And I pray that as you do that, God, I pray that we come to these tables well, remembering who you are, confessing our, our sin and our brokenness so that we can experience your grace and forgiveness to move forward in, in your love and your power for your namesake. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.